He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hello, welcome to week 28 of a Good Talk Spoiled God Podcast. I'm Bobby Donnelly, and we have the full team here this week. Uh, Barry O'Hanron uh, has joined me. Hey, Barry. Hey, guys. And uh, we have James Richardson here with us. Hey, James. Hey, guys. And we have Alan, who's on Skype with us from Sweden. Hey, Alan. Hey, guys. Um, Alan, we're just testing out some technology with Skype to try and get Alan uh, in on a weekly basis. So bear with us on the sound quality. We hope to hope to improve it as we go on. Um, this week, as a follow up to last week, we talked about match play and match play tactics, and we used some of Sevi's advice on it. This week, we, we are sorry. We mentioned last week that we were going to discuss, um, I suppose, more the tricky and the, the sly part of match play, which is uh, gamesmanship. So uh, we'll start off with our rules ready question. We'll have a look back at previous weekend's golf in the Open de France and the Greenbrier Classic. Alan's going to give us an update in the top 200. Uh, we'll have our chat about gamesmanship and then we'll have a look ahead to next week's golf. So, without further ado, I have this week's rules-related question. An old hole plug is raised on the, liar, on the player's line of putt. The player steps in the hole plug to make it level with the surface of the putting green. In so doing, he presses down a spike mark within the hole plug. Was the player in breach of 16-1A when he pressed down the spike mark? So the three options are, no, he was not in breach, yes, he was in breach, and it's a one-shot penalty, or yes, he was in breach, and it's a two-shot penalty. Uh, Barry, you're first. Oh, I've already a- made my decision that I'm going to go on the opposite of what Barry says here. Cause I oh, it's oh, a horrible question. Here he come up with some good ones, Bob. That, this one's actually from the Irish Times, but I threw the options in my, my myself. Oh, very good, very good. Um, I don't even know if you're entitled to repair the whole thing or if you have to actually move your ball so it's not in the way of your mm. line. I'm going to go with A, no penalty. Um, oh, I thought he was definitely going to say some form of penalty, so I was going to go... If he'd said two, I was going to say one and vice versa. <laughs> now I don't know which one to go. So he called uh, your bluff, basically. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a one-shot penalty. Okay, okay, well, we'll come to that at the end. I think it's two, but I don't know why I'm saying one, but let's go with it. <laughs> okay, um, okay, well, listen, I'll give you the, we'll give the answer out of that at the end. Um, I did, I think I mentioned Barry, you're leading 14-12, so this could be a pivotal uh, question here. Might open a bit of gap, or I might close it all up. Um, now, last weekend, uh Again, another brilliant event on the European Tour, and we're very fortunate that we're getting a good run of events. Um, GMAC defends his title, and actually, amazingly, I didn't mention this to you guys before, but GMAC is the fifth player to defend on the European Tour, successfully defend this year. Do you know any of the previous ones who have successfully defended this year in the European Tour? Wow. Will I give them to you? Yeah. Who stays it? It was Taysen, well done, yeah. Uh, Stephen Gallagher, obviously, defended at the start of the season. Awesome. Uh, uh, Schwartzel, yeah, well done. And Loughton, I think, is the other one. Oh. Not too bad, that's... Uh, uh, I didn't give you any advance notice, so that was pretty good. <laughs> um, but GMAC was very impressive, wasn't he? He was, yeah. The, the conditions played into his hands very well. Mm. Um, and Stadler's bad back as well, I think that didn't help him either. Yeah. 
So, um, but sure, GMAC battled away, you know, and well, he only had one bogey, was the final hole of the day, so he got himself in good position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the um, I think the conditions had a huge impact on um, on how he did because I think they affected Stadler more than anything. I think mm. if, it, if the weather was very nice. I think Stadler probably would have he would have been all right, but it kind of got a bit it got a bit dirty on the Sunday, and it's it's definitely suited GMAC a bit more than um, than it did Stadler. Now, but now at the same time, he did make up nine shots, which obviously is a I think it's the second. I think it's the second largest comeback apart from Paul Laurie. Somebody else, I think, made a ten-shot comeback. Um, Scott's behind, wasn't he? But he, he ended up doing it. it was a nine-shot swing. Yeah, I think Cabrera Bale's the biggest this season. I think is that right? At seven shots, maybe I'm open to correction on that. But yeah, and no, I don't know of European Tour history now. But that's that was definitely one of the biggest ones anyway. Yeah, it was. Um, but Stadler kind of, I think Stadler kind of gave it to him as well. He, yeah. I think the interesting yeah he, he looked very nervous over it didn't he I think the interesting thing and the point that you're all making about the weather Graham McDowell afterwards said that he loves playing in the, in the bad weather and when I read that the other day I was looking at the long term weather forecast for the British Open yeah. and it's not meant to be pleasant for the Ooh. four days at the moment now I know it's long term sure, and sure, it's, of course. it's obviously a couple of weeks away but if it's going to be raining Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the moment uh, for the British Open, you'd want to back, you know, Graham if he's saying that he's he loves playing in that kind of weather and that it suits his game. He could be one for the outside bet. I was thinking of backing GMAC because they're saying about Hoylake that it's actually quite tight um, in terms of a lot of bunkers and as the rough that you need to keep it out. So I kind of get the feeling you need to hit it straight. And you remember Tiger obviously famously hit his two iron all around the place, mm-hmm. and I was really thinking of GMAC. But just the odds, I think, are going. He's about thirty to one, so that kind of kind of went. That's generous enough odds for him as well. But I mean, he said there last weekend. He said he's gone and played it, and he said he feels like the kind of course he could do well on. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of open championship course he could do well on. Um, McElroy was playing it there as well a couple of days ago, and he tweeted that it was quite lush at the moment. So mm-hmm. then all it all depends on the weather and as to how the course develops. I think Mac has quite a poor record in the British Open. Is that correct? I'm not too sure offhand. I don't, think I don't think he's. Ever, I don't think he's ever really contended, or he's. I think he might have like one top ten or something. But I don't. I don't remember him ever really being in the mix. Well, that marks him off my list, so that's done. Done. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to correction now, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't really had a good run on. It's, it's surprising the amount of times that we really fancy GMAC for some majors, like a US Open or an Open Championship, and he kind of he just flatters to deceive and just mm-hmm. disappears very quickly. Um, it's. And, and then he'll just come out of nowhere and surprise you. Uh, it's, but you, maybe maybe this will kick him on. Sure, see how he goes, and we'll, we'll look into the the Open Championship um, field a bit more in depth next week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not around next week now, but that'll be, uh, be. It's always great to look forward to a major. I saw an interesting stat as well. Apparently, that that was the 18th time a player has come from behind in the final round to win this season in Europe. Wow, which is. Um, just shows that the, the front runners aren't really aren't because it's the same in the state. The front runners haven't really held on that much. No, and it's another <laughs> European tournament where um, another winner. There's only one player that has actually won twice on tour this year. Every other event has been a different winner. Jimenez won at the beginning of the season, and then a couple of weeks ago, every other competition has been. So there's nobody dominating at the moment in any of these tournaments. Mm. 
it's just a product. I mean, everybody is capable of winning on any given week. You know, they, they get the right combination on that week. They're all super talented. And I think the barriers have been broken down where, you know, the, the people, like the, the other pros expect the favorites to win. You know, everyone knows they can go out and do it. And so, and you had a, you had a good, uh, good, good run to present about Robert Carlson finished fourth. Yeah, there's another good, you know, guess when yeah. I was looking at the field last week. It was nice, it was nice. The rest of us, not so good. We didn't, we, Bob and myself barely broke the top 50, and Alan had a, uh, Alan had a miscut, so, uh, not, not so good. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the States, Greenbrier Classic, um, Angel Cabrera had his first PGA Tour win. Ever apart from his two majors, obviously, which technically are PGA Tour wins, but his first non-major win, it was a bit of a surprise that it took him that long to win it. When I read that earlier today, I was actually amazed. Yeah. If, if you had asked me that before I had wrote, read it, I would have said, no, no, he's, he's not only won a couple of majors, he's clearly won a couple of other events. Yeah. Yeah. And when I saw that, I kind of did a double take on, no, no, that couldn't be right. But... Uh, I think I read that he has fif- over 50 worldwide tour like, wins. So he's over 50 wins worldwide, but only, you know, before that, he just had the two majors in uh, yeah. the U.S. before the weekend. He played unbelievable on Saturday and Sunday. He struck the ball so well, and he has that new ping driver that Bubba Watson has. G30, yeah. The G30, yeah, with the, the, the weird air, the aero foil things on the top of it. I don't even know what they're called. Yeah, that is, there's some new design thing to make the club speeder like it's getting a bit ridiculous it looks now. like they killed and baked a fish and stuck <laughs> it on the end of the shaft it's really well whatever whatever works because he was smashing at 330 like most of the weekend mm. incredible the highlight for me was he was playing the index one I think he had 175 left he had a 7 or and held it yeah. on the hardest hole which I thought was just amazing and it looked really good the whole way you know yeah yeah it did it was a great shot the whole way I oh, struck a great put it brilliantly and um, yeah he, he didn't look in trouble even when he had those two kind of ropey bogeys after that eagle you kind of knew he was going to get it home, actually. And mm. um, he made a nice couple of nice birdie on uh, seventeen. I think it was sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, well, it was funny because I um, I actually didn't see any of the U.S. stuff at all, but I saw a stat that said that Cabrera has led only four times going into the final round. Or sorry, been in the final group only four times going into the final round in his career, and only one of them has been outside a major. Whoa, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, I thought I, I thought it was kind of because whenever you think of him, he doesn't win. He, he very very rarely wins in the states, and, and when he does, it just tends to be a major. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because you just get bored. Is the motivation maybe, or you know, he can only get motivated for the really big ones. Mm, yeah, so, um, possibly. Um, and I suppose we have to give a mention to George McNeil. who was a bit of a, I suppose, an extreme bittersweet day. Um, he shot at a 61, which included five holes where he had four birdies and a hole in one. Um, and he shot 61, took the lead in the tournament, but Cabrera overtook him. But I suppose that was followed by uh, the sad news that his sister had passed away from cancer and he only found out after a round, which I suppose puts all things into perspective. But it was very sad, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit um, it was a bit strange. I think she died a few minutes before tee-off and I think his family decided not to tell him. Yeah. So... Um I, mean, I guess it's probably the right thing to do. He's in the tournament. He's got a chance to win, and you know, it's his job, I suppose. And it's it money, is, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. There's never a right thing to do in that yeah, situation. Exactly. So, um, I've been about to say that. Yeah. So that was kind of a bit sad yeah. for him. Um, Another hole in one as well on the 18th. Yeah, Paul Paul Cawley, Cawley, in yeah. front of all the fans who all got a hundred dollars for his efforts. Deadly, yeah. yeah and, he got nice. a, and he got a handshake from Tom Watson for it as well, which is kind of cool. That was probably the best part of it yeah, all for yeah, him. Yeah, I'd yeah. say. I presume. Um, 
I presume every single person on the golf course legged it over to 18 when he made the hole at one How did they monitor that? Uh, good I'd good say so. I, I'd be doing that, would you? I definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's probably only a hundred euros or dollars to use in the merchandise stand anyway, with all the stuff that they're probably giving away at the end of the yeah. event. <laughs> good shout, yeah, you know, you never know. Um, and then, I suppose we, we finalised the British Open qualifying field over the weekend, so um, Michael Hoey and Victor Ryu, I think his name is, in France were two of the qualifiers. And Robert Carlson was and the third. Was he the third? Yeah, yeah. very good. They all have their little open championship flags there, yeah. photo opportunity after the tournament. Victor Ryu kind of puked his way to qualifying, really. He finished yeah. double bogey in the last, and the commentators, he was so tight, the commentators were unsure whether or not he was in, but he got in. And then in terms of local qualifying as well, or the, the final round around the qualifying, a notable uh, qualifier was Paul Dunn, who's an Irish amateur, plays out at Greystones. And he shot five under five hundred to qualify in first place, which I thought was extremely impressive. Uh, a couple of other guys like Mark Warren uh, qualified as well, Oliver Fisher. But possibly one of the best stories was John Singleton, who is a resin factory worker from Liverpool, and his pregnant wife, I think it was her fiance, told him to go and play, and he borrowed a couple of wedges because his wedges were so old mm. to go and play, and he topped qualification with in a field that included Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick, Graham Storm, and Richard Finch. That was a remarkable achievement. Amazing story, yeah. The guy, he used to be a pro, actually. I saw a little uh, snippet there on ITV, and it's just a brilliant story. Yeah. He just seems really laid back and completely kind of dazzled by the whole fact that he's going to play the Open Championship now in yeah. a couple of weeks and he's saying oh, I need to go talk to my boss and get the time off work yeah. and everything and I saw that he needs to apply but he's not sure when he's going to get the time off I'd be dumped on the job yeah, yeah absolutely I wonder if he's if he's gone back to being an amateur like he can't claim any money from this then if he does have a finishing spot unless he returns back to being a pro if he declares as a, as a pro before the event obviously he can get money for the prize you know surely once he's a pro he's always a pro no there's a time period where if you if you if you stop being a pro, you serve a certain amount of time and you can revert back to being an amateur again. Oh. I just don't know how long that period is. I imagine that would make sense because if you're a pro, that's up to the age of 40 and then you're 70, I imagine you've got to be able to go back and be an amateur. Like if you're playing off 12 and you're a, a pro, you won't make much yeah, money. No, I <laughs> but the, the story, is that not somewhat similar? Is it Tommy Two Gloves who uh, did that over in the States where he just kind of took an old set of irons, went from the factory, played a local tournament, mm. and is now playing on the US tour. Yeah, the, the factory workers all pooled money together to, to actually pay for him to go to a couple of events, and the, the event where he kind of had his breakthrough, um, a pro that we know here in Ireland used to play on the, the smaller tours with mm. Tommy Two Gloves, and um, he, he used to tell us that, that you know this is what happened, they all pooled money together, and they fired him off to another event, and he had his breakthrough win, and... He's, I mean, he said he was a great character. Pat, Pat Garrity was saying Tommy was a great character when they were doing qualifying. Pat was trying to qualify for an event, and you know, came in one day, and Tommy comes along. He's like, "Well, hey, Pat." Pat's like, "How did you get on today, Tommy?" He goes, "Oh, I did okay." So the next day, you know, Pat's thinking, "I wonder how Tommy got on today." He probably bombed. How did you do, Tommy? He said, oh, I, "I did all right." You know, another 70, 70, You know, he goes, "Okay, good stuff." You know, there's no way he'll make it. You know, he'll go all the way. You know, another one. You know, the next day, how did you get on? Yeah, pretty good, 60-66 or something like that, you know. And Pat's out thinking, listen, this guy's definitely going to tank tomorrow. There's no way he's going to win this tournament. <laughs> and lo and behold, off he goes and wins the tournament on the Sunday. He said he was the most unlikely winner, and he said he was the nicest guy he'll ever meet. And he said he was just delighted for him. But uh, just His big breakthrough was through Big Break, the TV show as well. He did that, yeah. yeah. And, yeah just I mean, amazing story. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, 
And then in final bit of news, uh, our own Stephanie Meadow, Stephanie Meadow had a third place in the European Masters, continuing her amazing form. And we should have a presenter five for actually remembering to mention Stephanie Meadow yes. for once. Yeah, yeah, we left her out last week, unfortunately. That was she's coming third in everything, though. The, U- the US Open, the, she finished third in the Ladies European Tour event there in the weekend, and then third again in the qualifying. Yeah, um, and the only thing I don't think she's qualified for the British Open yet, I think. She did. She, did that she, get she qualified yesterday, yeah. Only oh, an actual qualifying there was, there was a qualifying event, yeah, and there was 14 of them qualified, so she shot uh, a 5 or 6 under par. She finished third in that and got through. But the third in the US Open and third in the US Masters, yeah. European Masters, neither of them got her in. I know, she didn't hit any of the qualifying yeah. criteria. Do you know the funny thing was, they were using her face on one of the advertising posters for the Ladies British Open, and she wasn't qualified for the event yet. Wouldn't you be raging about that? Yeah, yeah well, that's a good point. Um, cool, very good. Well, that's a good, another good weekend to go. Um, Alan, I'm going to pass you over. I'll pass over to you to give us an update on the uh, top 200 competition. And um, yeah, so week 28 update. You might just give an overview of the competition and uh, just you know how how it works. Yeah, no problem. Obviously, um, we had a lot of big movers last week, so it's kind of settled down a little bit this week, but. Um, to give a bit of detail, I suppose this is a competition where um, we all pick two players, one from the European Tour and one from the US Tour. Um, we're keeping up entries open now. We're only going to open them for another two weeks. So it'll be this week and next week will be the, uh, the final run of entries. Um, so for anyone who wants to enter, if you can send your two players to our Twitter handle, which is at PodcastGTS, um, and just put in your two players, one from the US Tour, one from the European Tour, and put hashtag top 200 after your entry and we will include you um, in the leaderboard obviously we're going to run it for another few um, or we'll be running it up until the end of the DP the DB is it the DP or the DB DP 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 World Championship in November so um, if anyone would like to enter just send send the two players in so just to give a bit of an update anyway we've had a few a few reasonable movers now this week Um, the big mover was um, dear Paddy, who had Robert Carlson and Michael Hoey, so he moved Ooh. 54 spots. Um, and Martin Saccone moved 43 spots, and Sean Cooper moved 37 spots. So they've all moved up the table quite a bit. Um, we've had a good few people who obviously dropped about 10 to 20 spots, but I won't name and shame them. Um, <laughs> Thanks, so, uh, Thank was, you very much. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I'm in that group as well, so that's, that's a big reason behind it. But um, at the end of it, the week, anyway, the top three were James English, who stays at number one, and he's got 239, Matt Ward at 243, and Stephen O'Connor has moved back into the top three with 261. So we will um, we'll post up the leaderboard this evening on to the Twitter handle so people can see where they're standing. And as I said, any new entries, just send in your two picks. Great. Cool. Well, thanks for that update, Alan. Um Okay, we're moving on to our main topic. As I mentioned at the start, this is a follow-on from the match play, because we started to get into the gamesmanship uh, discussion last week, being Seve being the king of gamesmanship and all that. But we decided we'd have a bit of a chat about this week and get kind of stuck into it a bit more. So let's, first of all, we're going to start off and give a definition of what exactly is gamesmanship, so no better place to go than the Oxford Dictionary. So the Oxford Dictionary state that the art of winning, sorry, gamesmanship is the art of winning games by using various ploys and tactics to gain a psychological advantage. Um, and my first question, probably I'll open it up to you, James, is do you use gamesmanship? Well, I would have always said no. 
yeah. I wouldn't have even realised what it was. I just thought I'd go away, play my golf, get disappointed, go home and decide to go out the next week and just <laughs> yeah. do it all again. But uh, actually when we were looking at this, or I was looking at it over the last week for this week's podcast, that I actually realised that probably I do use it, mm. just not actually realise I use it. Mm. And I actually think that everybody uses it without actually realising it. You don't necessarily, I certainly don't step up on the first tee and go, I'm going to really piss off my playing partners this week Barry. by doing, yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. But uh, I do, maybe I don't think I'm doing it, but I do, you know, asking, you know, when, when you're standing on a tee box and, uh, you know, there's out of bounds on the right-hand side, mm. you know, and the wind is blowing that direction, kind of going, you know, because you're talking to yourself nearly more than anything, going, Jesus, I want to put it out of bounds. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, it's then just subtly setting it in the background to the other players who it just sits on the surface and just starts bedding in of you don't want to go into the water geez the water on the left is in play today yeah you know and it's it, you're, you're maybe not even thinking about it but actually mm. you are using gamesmanship because you're trying yeah. to put the other guys off he's a natural born gamesman <laughs> yeah and I think uh, when we talked about this a few weeks ago we were actually going to call this the show James doesn't do gamesmanship yet. <laughs> now it sounds like you're an expert on it I, I was pretty similar I would have always thought ah, don't use gamesmanship um, except I was reading a piece about Greg Norman, we might mention him later on, and he was mentioned that he comes to, let's say, things like, let's say, a par three or a, a par four, where it may be a par four that it might be a short par four, he's going to hit an iron and an iron, and he pulls out the driver and stands there while his partner is about to drive, he's waving the driver around. So it's very obvious he's hitting the driver. And the other person goes, might change and then hit a driver, and then he puts the driver away and takes out his four iron and hits it down the middle of the fairway. And I, when we're in matches, myself and my partner, particularly four ball matches, if it's a long haul and it's been unsure, I sometimes might take the hybrid out. Someone goes, geez, he's taking a lot of club. And then I might put it back in and downgrade or vice versa. I might take the hybrid out in a par four, change it up and then go and hit the driver or something like that. If it's four balls, he might pretend to be more aggressive. So like you, I, I didn't think I did. And then I'm reading this going, yeah, maybe I do, particularly in matches, you know. Alan, you must have used or you know seen a good few things in your time because you've, you've played a lot more match play than us having won a match play championship in your club. Well, I have to say, I suppose, I, I, I'm a huge fan of games and chip. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the only thing is, I actually don't really use it, but I actually, and, I, and I'm, I wouldn't be a big fan of it, but use it against me, but I actually love to see it. If I'm watching it on TV or watching the Ryder Cup, I think it's, I think it's great entertainment. Yeah. Uh, I love watching it. But I, you know, I've, I've actually been on the receiving end of a few, of a few examples. I, I recently played a match play game and the, um, like it was just something as simple as any time I got, I stood over a putt and I was about to take it, the guy actually started, would start walking around in, in the background. I could always see him out of the corner of my eye and he did it on, nearly on every hole. And I suppose it, it worked, it probably worked because I started to, I started to notice it and in fairness I lost at the end. So, mm. um, but then I remember, I remember I played and I've heard of this being done in loads of different uh, circumstances. I remember I played against a guy a few years ago and, Anytime I was going to take my shot, or it was mainly up around the green, he used to rip his glove off just as I was uh, <laughs> close to taking the shot. You know, so you'd be nearly waiting for the sound of the uh, yeah. the velcro coming off. Like uh, so I, I've seen loads of it. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't use it myself. I, I, although if I was playing you, Barry, I'd be using it on every single hole because <laughs> you just. <laughs> He'll, he'll, he'll get his own back, Alan. He does it to me every week by playing really slowly. So you're fine. Yeah, I, no, I, no, I, I, I wish you could put that down to gamesmanship. 
it confused me with Stu. Stu is a slow on our three ball, but um, I've I um, I've experienced. I would have experienced a huge amount more games and shit playing ten pin bowling than golf. I played ten pin bowling very competitively, and I, I always kind of came to the realization that if somebody starts using games and shit against you, um, that means deep down inside they don't think they can just beat you straight up. They they feel they need to gain an extra advantage over mm. you somehow, and I take confidence from that. So even though it might be putting you off in a way, I, I you know I, I figure I'm gaining you know on the upside I'm getting confidence out of as well that they feel a little yeah, bit worried yeah. and they have to implement tactics to beat me. I, I wouldn't say Sevi felt like that. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> I think Sevi was pretty confident he could beat whoever he was playing, yeah. and he still used it all the time. Well, Listen, that's I, true. I, I need to just tell myself whatever I need to tell myself to get through it. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every uh, every week I play with uh, my regular partner. And he's uh, he's listening to a good bit of Stephen Halpenny, and he well, we both have this common trick. And I suppose it's it, this is one of my points is that I think gamesmanship is fine when you're just messing. Like in a serious match, like a captain's prize or something like that, you don't really get up to it. But when we're ever on a part three, I, I did this a few uh, I say about six months ago, and I couldn't decide what the club was. So I went over to Stephen's bag and I said, "Jesus, those irons are beautiful." I said, did you wash them? And of course, I'm fiddling around through his bag, checking and going, oh, the, oh yeah, there's, there's six hours missing. I was like, oh, God, they're lovely. I must get seven set of them. So, of course, now it's a running joke. Every week, of course, the other ones, oh, they're lovely irons. Did you clean them? Yeah, so it's a running thing. It's probably more cheating rather than gamesmanship, but anyway. Um, it's a fine line. Are you, allowed, yeah. are you allowed to touch somebody's, you know, the way you're, another way you're allowed to go over and look at somebody's bag to see what club's missing? Are you allowed to actually, like, unzip the hood or are you allowed, you know, ruffle around their clubs? Or yeah. Is it, I, is it really kind of, you know, on the, the, grit, the legal grey hair? I'd say opening up, the cl- opening up the hood now would be, would be <laughs> seriously friendly. What, what you mean is uh, you were hovering your hand over the clothes. Yes. You weren't yes. actually touching them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I, I always have this um, this funny one, which I actually just do subconsciously. I don't even realise that. I do it in stroke play. Um, I, like, I play in Milltown, and we have our eight hole runs right alongside the road. And I, I, I would say probably one in four of my shots I, I stick out into the middle of the road. So anytime I get up there and I hit it, I'm like, I might be hitting first and playing with a couple of people. And any time I hit it and I get it down the fairway, or I even I'm like 80 yards right, I'm like, oh thank Christ, I didn't go out onto the road. And the, lads, <laughs> the lads I'm playing with, they're always like, great, thanks. That's just what I wanted to hear just yeah. before I hit my shot. But there was there was a comment that I read when I was looking at this, and I I think that anybody who sits out there listening to this goes, oh I don't use gamesmanship, is is just lying to themselves because one of the comments that was made was the one that we always use, which is, you know, 100% 100% of putts short are missed, or never up, never in, you know, and if you say repeatedly over a couple of holes, you know, it does sink in, you know, all of a sudden the person's thinking about it on those putts, that it it is, that like, that is gamesmanship, whether you're doing it consciously or not, it is gamesmanship. What do, you, what do you mean as in terms of if you keep saying never up, never in that they'll start to hit it harder yeah but, but that, yeah, yeah they, but they, they, the whole point of golf in my opinion is what's going on between your left ear and your right ear mm-hmm. and it's psychological so if you're conscious then after two or three or four greens that actually you've left a load short you're going to give the next one a real belt and yeah. you will end up possibly putting it six foot past. Yeah. But yeah. you're now thinking about it. The whole like to me, I reckon if I just didn't go onto the golf course with any thoughts in my head, I play really well. Yeah. Because the problem is when I start thinking about golf, I go to shite. Which is the <laughs> problem because I start thinking when I'm in the car park and I don't stop until I'm back in the car park. Yeah. But I think that's the thing about gamesmanship. It's about psychologically getting into someone's head about the bits that they're not good at and yeah. letting it just bed in. 
Do we think uh, gamesmanship is inappropriate in golf? I, I think there's a fine line, I suppose. Mm. You know, it, it kind of it depends how far how far it goes. Um, like, it's like, a lot of the stuff you wouldn't cons- you wouldn't construe as cheating, but you would certainly believe that it would be frowned upon. Like, I always think, you know, everybody puts Seve up on a, on a pedestal and thinks he's thinks he's great, and I actually love Seve, but at the same time, he was a bit of an asshole on the golf course. You yeah, know? yeah, like. He, he, he pushed it to the extreme with all this kind of jangled in the coins and the pocket and the coffee and stuff yeah. like that. So like, it's not, it's not cheating and it's like, it's not against the rules, but it's certainly is frowned upon. So I think, I think there's a line that you can cross, but I think there's, there's some things that I suppose are kind of just part and parcel of the game. Yeah. I think for me that line is an intentional uh, move to try to put your opponents off, such as a glove ripping or unzipping your bag or rustling around when they're in the middle of their backswing I have no problem with like with a psychological war of words I have no problem with that at all I think that's all part of like you're taking you're still taking on that person and it's you know all all that person can bring to the golf course and their mental game is part of that but I, I think something like you know trying to put them off by jangling coins or dropping a ball in the middle of their backswing or something I think that's I think that's out of bounds yeah I, I agree I think something that directly impacts their next shot I think is probably too far. So that's where you're saying like a distraction of yeah, sorts. Distraction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, and more what you were saying, James, you keep saying never up, never in. It's going to play with their mind. Mm. Then I think that's probably okay, but it's, it's still still a, still a bit iffy. Well, it's the difference between gamesmanship and unsporting. Yeah, you know yeah. that's the, the 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 walking off, and some of the pros do it. You know, and I think we're going to come on to it in a minute. But like where pros will deliberately walk ahead. Yeah. You know, when the guy's trying to you know execute a shot. Deliberately to get everybody moving—that's that's unsporting, and in fact, it's probably in complete breach of the rules of golf under the uh, the, the sportsmanship, the sportsmanship yeah, yeah. section of it. You, you did one thing, uh, Bob. You told me about that you did a few weeks ago, and I, I'm kind of I'm sitting on the fence on whether I think it's it is brilliant, but I think it might, you know it might border on the edge of being a little bit dodgy. You said you're playing a match and. Um, the guy you were playing against had a chip shot coming up yeah. and you walked around behind him, you know, not really close, but close enough that he could hear you when you were doing this and you had your wedge and you started pumping it into the ground to make a duff sound with the wedge yeah, yeah. and you did that several times as you walked around. Just to get, It was almost like a subliminal message and yeah. he went and chunked his chip shot and left yeah. it short. And I, I, I'm not sure. I, it's absolute genius and I have to applaud you for it. I'm not sure <laughs> whether I agree it's like, it's, it's right on the edge. Like, I think that's that w- step yes. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I I think that would that would be definitely across the line. I think, um, and I suppose it was a particular match where I suppose there was a tiny bit of edge in it. Anyway. Oh, but, then uh, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah, they, if he started, it's okay. But uh, we went. I was walking over to the next tee to leave our bag, and like that, we'd all in the green. Yeah, I was just thumping the wedge into the ground. Sure enough. <laughs> but yeah, so and I think that's where I think that impacted the shots. So probably a bit across the line, but. There's another example I heard of um, that um, there's a guy, I think he's, uh, he plays at a Tralee, Pat Mulcair, and apparently on the 12th hole in Tralee, whenever he's playing a match, and I think this is excellent, but it's not across the line, that when he's losing a match on the 12th, he takes a ball out of his bag and he throws it up into the air and leaves it land on the tee, and he takes out his driver and he drills it down the fairway off the deck. Now that's gamesmanship, but it's not affecting the next person's shot in any way. It, and I think that is classic gamesmanship, and that's a great trick, you know. But if you can execute, that's it, a yeah. psychological nuke. Yeah. yeah. 
I know. I wouldn't help if he duffed it up to the ladies' team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, which he's probably done and just didn't tell anyone about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, in terms of the pro game, do you think much gamesmanship goes on? Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of examples. You know, you talk about Seve, but like it, it, it's right back. You know, there's the the incident in the '71 U.S. Open with Lee Trevino and Jack. Um, you know the, the rubber snake yeah, on the on yeah. the tee box, and um, Faldo in the nineteen eighty nine uh, Ryder Cup in the Belfry going behind his uh, his opponent's golf ball, kind of pushes. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Chip Chip uh, Beck out yeah. of the way and kind of said, "Oh, I'm just having a look at the line of the putt." You know, it was nowhere near his line. Yes, yeah. but again, it's just on edge them. And I suppose more recently, Bubba against uh, Steve Elkington in two thousand and eight, where he got really really annoyed because. Elkington kept walking in the middle of a swing and he ripped into him in the middle of the second round with yeah. uh, quite a lot of expletives and you actually look it up and maybe Barry will tweet it later because it's actually quite yeah. funny to watch Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a great one as well only recently which it's one of those you don't know you actually don't know whether they meant it or not Do you remember when Tiger and Sergio and the players yeah. um, a couple of years ago remember when they were over the opposite sides of the fairway and oh. Tiger was in the trees. I remember he was surrounded by lots of fans, and he took his, he took a five wood out or something as Sergio was playing the shot over the other side of the fairway, and the crowd all started going, you know, whooping and hollering because they thought Tiger was hitting a five wood out of the trees, yeah. and it put Sergio off, and it put him off for the rest of the round because remember he came in after the round and he was having a big moan about yeah. it and a big whine, so. And, and Tiger obviously played Tony Dumb and said, oh, I, I didn't even notice. I couldn't see because there were so many people around me and all yeah. this kind of stuff. So you don't know whether he actually intentionally meant it or not, but you presume he did. Yeah, yeah. And those but, are kind of good examples because it is actually directly impacting the player, but Tiger can, like, you can easily play it off and go, oh, you know, I didn't realise. Yeah, I think that's a cracking example, actually. But I, I, I think Tiger meant every word of that. Uh, yeah. You know, I think yeah. Tiger yeah. is is the Seve Balaceros of this generation because... Mm. You know, the stories that you've read online about him, you know, he is just coming, you know, coming up to tee boxes late, but he knows how to play the, the gamesmanship right onto the edge, if not probably well beyond it, because he knows that he'll get away with it with a cheeky grin and saying, oh, I, I don't know what I was doing. Geez, sorry about that, Sergio. And Tiger has a lot of famous ones as well. Uh, there's a good article up, I might be called Digest, where Butch talks, he told Bill about all the tricks that Tiger does. So just very quickly, obviously he would ensure where possible to finish out first before the opponent so the galleries get moving, which is one we all know about. But one that I thought was great is, so Woods is obviously leaving the green first and heading on to the next tee, yet every single time he ends up arriving at the tee after the other person. So, for example, I always think Wai Yang is a great example that Yang was walking up onto the tee box, everyone was obviously applauding, going, yeah, yeah, well done, well done, and then Tiger runs up and everyone's going mental, bananas screaming and bumping and hollering. So if you imagine you're the person standing on the tee box, every time he rises, the crowd goes mental. Like, it's got to make it much more difficult for you, you know? It'd be funny if someone made a conscious effort to try and arrive to the tee box after Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Just a standoff. Neither of them walking onto the tee box. (laughs) It'd just be a race of the two of them, fake fake shoelace open or retying their shoelaces. After you, sir. No, after you. (laughs) No, after you, please. (laughs) Shit before the shovel. Um, There's another thing he he does a lot is, um, and this, this works both ways, he disrupts the rhythm of the opponent. So, and I mean, these are two examples of that disrupting the rhythm, but 
it, they said in particular when he's walking between shots as well that if his opponent is a slow player, he'll intentionally walk fast to try to put them off their their rhythm and, and and vice versa. If they're a quick player, he'll start taking you know taking things a lot slower and chilling out and just put them out of their their kilter. Yeah, no, I think I think Tiger is definitely very good at it. Uh, Greg Norman had a very good article. I touched on it as well, and um, he mentioned about you know deceiving the opponent with the club. But the other one as well is that if the uh, if they're arriving up to short par four and the opponent's teeing off first, Norman would turn around and go, which was caddying goes, is, is the driver is the green on stay? Like, can I hit the driver? And he's like, oh, definitely, no problem. <laughs> so it's an, and they hear this, and the opponent kind of goes, oh, okay, right, right. And, they, and then, of course, Norman pulls out the, the you know, four iron and knocks it down the fairway. So he uh, seems to be quite good at it. But that actually reminds me of a real-life example. I meant to mention this earlier on. There's a pal of mine that I work with, and he played, so roughly about 20 years ago, played Connacht Boys Final. And just to explain, you play two foursomes matches, and you add up the scores. So they lost one, one down, and they were up in another one, one up playing 17 in Enniscrone, which is a part three. And one of the guys uh, who they were winning, they needed to win the 17th to win the overall match. He turns to the other guy and goes, oh, "You know what club do you think it is?" And he said loud enough so the his the opponents could hear it. He said, "Oh, it's a good solid seven iron." And took out a nine iron out of the bag and handed it to him. Hits the nine iron, knocks off the middle of the green. So the guys are obviously going, oh, "Okay, seven iron seems like a bit of a lot of club." I scale down to an eight iron, and they go and hit the eight iron, clear the green, clear the car park out of bounds, and the match was lost straight away. It's a big difference between an eight and a nine iron, isn't it? Middle of the green to yeah, to, to oh, well, the, but it, it messed them up so badly. Well, then it's grown the out of bounds and the car park's right, right there, right there. Oh, yeah, okay. so it was straight air mail the green and it's the car park and match over. That's and, genius. Yeah. That is, yeah. you know, fair play to they deserve to win. It's clever, but I suppose it goes back to our point: is it's still back across the line of it. Greg Norman actually used to do something very similar to that. Now you can only do this if you're a spectacularly talented golfer. Say the shot was between a seven iron and an eight iron, and he knew his opponent was debating a choice, um, especially if his opponent was a bag watcher. So he'd take a seven iron and give it a swing that was big and long, but was actually quite soft and slow, but it looked like a full swing and had very little uh, hand action. And he'd land it on the green, that's grand, and the player thinks, okay, grand, he's hit a full seven iron. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd hit it and then over, he'd shoot over the back of the green because he'd hit it full because he'd think Norman has hit a full shot and he's actually yeah. just completely manipulated it. Now we could never do that. I mean, we're just looking to pull out, you know, pull off yeah. a decent shot with a, a regular iron. You know, but, um, yeah. genius move. Like. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think um, that kind of thing is against his own sporting. Where you know, if your man's gone set seven and hits nine, because I suppose there's always the, the old thing where it's nearly frowned upon to be looking in your opponent's bag and yeah. see what they're hitting, or to be kind of trying to get information that way. So I think, yeah, I think that guy's actually dead right. I think that. It nearly serves the other guy right for yeah. for listening in and. Where is it frowned upon? <laughs> I I I will if if I can get information about it in a shot and that's available. Not necessarily match play because you know, it's unlikely I'm going to know the other guy's game or his clubbing that much. But if I'm playing with regular playing partners and I'm kind of in a bit of indecision about a shot, it it definitely helps me knowing what they've hit. But I think looking in the opponent's bag is frowned upon. Really? I think so. People can frown yeah, People can frown all day long. I'll still look. Yeah, well, information. I'm sure you saw Jim Furyk got caught on TV doing it as well. You know, so I think it, it happens regularly. But I think it's not probably in accordance with the spirit of the game. Yeah, if it wasn't frowned upon, you just walk over and and like blatantly look in the bag and pick back the head cover and stuff like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no head cover touching. <laughs> um, well, very good. What we might do is if 
people out there have some good gamesmanship stories because we came up with tons and tons and we only obviously could discuss some of them. If you want to send us a few of your stories to uh, at podcast GTS on Twitter, uh, we'll maybe read some of them out at the start of the next week. But that wraps us up for this week. Uh, very interesting discussion and I'm dying to play a bit of match play or sorry, play golf with you lads and lash out the old gamesmanship. Yeah, I know. We'll have to set up a game. Get, yeah. get that sorted. We'll import Alan back for, from Sweden for yeah. a, a gamesmanship match. Yeah, I'm playing my uh, singles match play uh, next round on uh, Thursday, <laughs> oh, so uh, this is a perfect time to be doing this. Uh, we're playing two groups in front, actually. You might have to keep an eye on James. Yeah, and it'll be all walking really slowly. There's <laughs> 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 a seven-hole gap behind. There'll be a big rook two holes behind you. You won't know what <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we're looking forward to next week's golf. Um, again, I know I keep harping on about this, but another great European Tour event. Uh, Scottish Open uh, is on in Royal Aberdeen, which hosted the Walker Cup. Was it 2009 it hosted the Walker Cup? I meant to check this out. Um, Let's just say sure for now, and if we need to print a retraction later on, we will. Yeah, um, Jordan Spieth and Harris English all played in, in that Walker Cup. Uh, I, remember actually, I remember actually watching this very good course. I think it's 09, but anyway, uh, great, great golf course. Um, no course history, I suppose, for people who are having a bet on it. But a classic field, isn't there? A great field. The field is unbelievable. I think I read like 22 of the world's top 60, which is fantastic yeah. the week before a major. And um, it's it's just a, it's a who's who of the, the European Tour superstars starting off. You have McElroy Rose, Donald, and then you have Phil Mickelson over from the States. You know, Donaldson, Westwood, Fowler, Walker, Poulter, Molinari. The list goes on, you know. Mm. It's, it's a deep field and... Um, I'm really looking forward to this. This is supposed to be a cracking golf course um, yeah. in Aberdeen, not too far up the road from St Andrews, you know, mm. an hour up the road from there. So, uh, really looking forward to this. You know, get the little link season we have. You know, is in full flow after the French Open. Does anyone is anyone having a bet? I I, I was toying just having something on maybe Fowler or Donaldson because Donaldson obviously won the Irish Open in Royal Portrush. Um, I've heard there's some similarities to Carnoustie. If you want to have a look at okay. kind of what kind of player might do yeah, well here, yeah. you know, if anyone succeeded in Carnoustie before. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not having any bad. I just I, I'm struggling with the lack of course form. Now I know it's links, so you can kind of generally use links as a good barometer. Yeah. But um, I'm more kind of want to see how the players do ahead of the British Open. I'm really yeah. hoping Fowler doesn't have a good re- a good tournament and Donaldson because I have them penciled in for Oilek. Good shout, yeah. yeah good you should shout. be getting those bets on now, just in case. Well, if we're not having any bets, will we have a little bit of a presenter bet then on? Uh, yes. A fiver. Uh, uh, you, unfortunately, were last last week, so you get to go first this week. Okay, and I'm going to go go against the uh, two guys I just mentioned. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Shane Larry at 50 to 1. Barry, any fancies? Um, I am going to go with... You know Jimenez, you know, just kind of plodding, oh, yeah. plodded around there. He used uses wily old smarts. You know, I saw Oosthuizen uh, tweeting on Twitter that uh, he was doing a lot of uh, British Open preparation. Uh, so I'm going to pick Oosthuizen. I think he's about fifty to one as well. Good call, Russell Knox, local boy, Scottish Open. I'm very interested to see how he plays because he's Scottish, but he plays all the time in PGA Tour. So he's a classic guy who probably hits it really high. And then he's come back to Scotland and where he's strong. It'd be great to see how he gets on there. Yeah. Does he remember how to hit it low? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he's he's also been there or thereabouts throughout the season, mm. so I think mm. it'd be interesting. Like, and it's also I find that uh, you know a bit like the Irish Open, 
French Open, the, 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 the local lads do come through yeah. a little bit more often yeah. than, than they may do in a normal event. And yet again, you continued your good run of having Carlson fourth last week. So there's probably a lot of people rush, rush, rushing out to back Car- uh, Russell Knox as we speak. Yeah, and the, the next major is next week, so James's picks will be really the highlight of the show. I'll be tuning in anyway, just sticking all my money on your picks. Well, that's all right. I'll give the advance warning so you have the insider dealing. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, John Deere Classic. Um, Yeehaw. Yeah, I just, I, I, again, I must say I'm much more enjoying the European Tour. I don't know if I'm going to watch as much American golf. I did watch the, the last weekend's golf, but, um, again. This, this is, this is a birdie fest course, mm. and you wonder whether this is going to do any of the guys any good coming up before they come over to play yeah. a very different style of golf next week, um, in the Open Championship in Hoylake. Mm. Um, the, the winning score is going to be about 20 under par. Who's play, Who's in the field, Barry? Uh, we have uh, Jordan Spieth is defending. We have Steve Stricker, Zach Johnson, Ryan Moore, uh, English Kirk, Nah, Stroud, and the field kind of fizzles out a little bit. Then you've Brendan De Jong is playing well, and you know a lot of your PGA Tour regulars. Then after that, so this anybody could win this this week. Mm. I find it amazing there. You mentioned Steve Stricker. He's playing this week, and he's pulled out of the Open. Yeah. This week. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's crazy, isn't it? Is he kind of taking? He's kind of taking the piss of it almost. It's, it's a bit. It's, to me, it's a bit disrespectful. I, I agree. I don't necessarily agree because I think he's just a holiday golfer now. I, I don't think. I don't think he takes it all serious. I think he just wants to spend time with his family, go out play a few tournaments, and I just don't think he sees the benefit of playing the Open Championship. But it's a major, like he's never won a major. It's a, like he could go turn up and have the week of his life and get and win a major. He's he doesn't care. Right, find that hard to believe. Mm. But sure, he nearly didn't play the the final event in the FedEx last year. You know, he's going to go on a hunting trip that was prearranged. And other than the, you know, fact he was in the the race to actually win the ten million, he's he decided I'll go along and play, and he ends up winning two million dollars or something like that. But Do you know, Alan, when you're in that deep dark cave of golf where you absolutely hate it. I wonder if Stricker permanently in that. He just needs to go out and play a few tournaments just to pick up some money. Possibly, yeah. Well, I spent I spend probably 50 weeks of the year in that dark place, so uh, <laughs> I can definitely sympathise with him if that's where he's at. And the other two weeks you go on holidays. <laughs> exactly, to, get, to, to rebuild my morale a bit. Uh, the other interesting event on this week is the Rico Women's British Open, which has been played in Royal Birkdale. Um, and that'll definitely be worth watching. I actually don't know where that's on TV. Would that be on BBC or, or would it be on Sky? That's a good point, actually. It's, uh, yeah, usually Sky have all the women's events, but maybe BBC might be sneaking yeah. in because it's on. You know, it's, it's in Britain. Yeah, Stacey Lewis is defending, uh, but we might maybe just tweet that which one's on. I, I wouldn't mind to watch it a bit. I actually, I prefer to watch the women's British Open than with the John Deere Classic. Absolutely, me too. I've mm. It's been re- the women's golf has been really stuck on Sky Sports quite a lot recently. Yeah, I watched yeah. a bit of the the, the the regular event they had last week. It was good. You know, it's it's interesting to watch them plot their way around the course because it's there's a lot as we've always said. There's a lot more parallels to our games and how they get around the golf course. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll definitely watch a bit of that because you know Lynx Lynx golf is right up my alley. And if anybody's interested, uh, Stephanie Meadow is fifty to one. Oh, okay. Well, she's third in the last two events. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, good each way. That's a great prize, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's James's top tip for the week, people. I you heard it here. That's a, that's a major tip as well from James Richardson. I always back my women. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, listen, that's more or less wraps us up for this week. Before we go, um, I have the answer to the rules related question. Unfortunately, I have bad news for one of you. That one of you is incorrect, and one of you is right. 
And the score is now 15, 12 to 5. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of penalties. That's amazing. No, rule 16-1A permits touching the line of put in repairing old hole plugs. If the spike, bar, spike mark had been near but not within the old hole plug, the ruling would have been different. In these circumstances, the player would have been able to step on the hole plug without affecting the, spark, the spike mark. Oh, was it in the hole plug? Yeah. Oh, jeez, I got the question wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, chestnut, okay. eh? Well, here, I'll, I'll give you nothing for that. Um, <laughs> Big mountain to climb now. Yeah. I now I'm going to have to really roll the dice every week. You yeah. might actually have to study. Oh, we're only halfway through the year. We're just over halfway, so you still have loads I've, of time. I've plenty of time over here to do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, listen, guys, that wraps us up uh, for another week. Um, look forward to the weekend's events. Uh, so all of these me to say is thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week, and enjoy the weekend's golf. Bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.